Ladies and gentlemen, good afternoon. My name is Shervan Pethe, and I'm one of the new hosts of Light Bulbs, the Entrepreneurship Club podcast. It's a real pleasure being on the airwaves with you. We've got an exciting set of shows for the year ahead. We'll be speaking to founders and VCs from across London, and of course, our very own LBS community. We'll be hearing about their experiences through the entrepreneurial journey, sharing some inspiring stories, sharing insights, and hopefully having a bit of fun while we're at it. So today we're talking to Sam Desi, who's the CEO and co-founder of Pop. Um, Pop was recently featured at NFT London and is the most recent winner of the illustrious LBS uh, Booster Pitch Night. Um, Sam, lovely to have you here. Hey, it's uh, great to be here. It's an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for inviting me. Of course, of course. Um, Cool, so let's kick off. Um, To begin with, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your venture, Pop? Yeah, sure. There's two big areas. So very briefly on myself, uh, I originally trained as a medical doctor um, and I actually founded my first venture whilst I was two years into my training. Uh, I left, uh, that venture failed after 18 months, but it was a fantastic experience. Um, And after that, I had a couple of grown-up jobs. So uh, the first one was in the government as a head of emerging tech for the Department of Health. uh, And the second was a... uh, a director of, of new products at a VC-backed healthcare startup in London. So yeah, I mean, most of my career has been in healthcare. Um, I've also, I also then founded another business which scaled to 1.25 million ARR in, um, in a few months. And that again was a healthcare business. Um, so I, I've got a knack for, um, well, I've, I, I really enjoy just like hacking stuff together um, and seeing how it goes. And, you know, I've been, I've always done that regardless of whether, um, I was in like a, a permanent full-time role or, you know, just having a, a break between between roles. Um, but the since 2014, I've actually, I've been quite involved in crypto. Um, initially as uh, a kind of like a bystander, then an investor in small amounts. I've seen through like two down cycles, uh, but still fundamentally really believe in the underlying tech. Um, I think, you know, now it's beginning to mature to a stage where we're seeing some real use cases. And there was a point at which earlier in 2022, there started to be like quite a bit of tooling that was coming out that democratized access to developing smart contracts and dApps to people who aren't engineers, like builders, but are builders like like me. Um, And that's really when I was able to start building stuff and experimenting. And anyone who's in this space knows that you can kind of really go down a rabbit hole when you start exploring and experimenting and building. And often those rabbit holes are in deep, dark Discord servers. Um, And so I I ended up spending a lot of time, I got addicted to Discord for a a few weeks. And nice. what happened was like once you start, once you're in these communities and you start sharing what you're working on, people start reaching out to you and asking for advice. Um, perhaps they're you know a few weeks behind where you are. Um, I was actually, I actually started developing um, essentially smart contracts and NFT campaigns using uh, like an open source library called Metaplex. Um, 
which uh, which is really cool. It's really accessible for for somebody like me who's not not natively an engineer. Um, anyway, I was in this Metaplex community. All of these other people are also non-engineers, basically learning uh, JavaScript top down, um, and uh, yeah, people started reaching out and they were saying like, "Can you help us? Like, perhaps like." at the stage we're at and maybe you can help us actually launch our whole nft campaign it turns out that a lot of these people um were running small brands um and they wanted to launch nft campaigns because they thought that somehow it would suddenly activate and engage their audience um obviously that's not the case um not not like as a standalone thing anyway perhaps it's part of the solution um, but that really was the first signal that there was a huge amount of demand for somebody that has Web3 expertise and is able to launch um, NFT campaigns. And, and that demand was coming from brands. Um, so that's so independently, I was doing this work. And then along the journey, I met um, my two co-founders. So Ilias, who is our chief technology officer, I actually worked with him at my, my last job in a startup for six months. Um, great friends, and he's an absolute genius. So it was a no-brainer, really. And then James, who is the MBA alum from um, LBS, um, who we were, I mean, we were introduced by a mutual friend at a VC fund. And he was also working on his own, independently, he was working on NFT campaigns, but for nonprofits. We'd, we'd all, we all demonstrated some interest in this space, right? And we came together. And the only thing we knew when we came together was that brands wanted to get into Web3, and we had no idea what we were going to build. And so we kind of took a step back and started from first principles. Um, I think it's really easy in this space to get kind of just to take the technology and then apply it when actually the thing that transcends any technology trend is the problem that your users are facing, right? And so we we went back to basics and we started asking these brands that we'd already been working with, like, what are you actually trying to achieve by launching this collection of NFTs? And it turns out that everyone just wants their community to be more engaged and more activated. We're seeing like, we've seen this big shift away from exponentially growing your user base towards nurturing the, the user base you already have, right? Because customer acquisition costs are, have they've increased 60% in the last five years, right? So people are really trying to retain their customers and get them to, to do more stuff and be more involved in the community. Um, and brands were inspired by like the successes of the web three communities of last year. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we set about this journey of, we started with the problem of, um, how do we, how do we engage um, a brand's community um, in a way that has never been done before? How do we improve that by an order of magnitude? Mm. Um, and what we landed on for the vision of POP is actually, it's, we're, we're not exact, we're not a, a hardcore Web3 company. What's in, what we've done is we've, we've combined elements of Web2, UX and UI with elements of Web3 and together the result is, is pretty cool. Um, and we do use NFTs, but in a, in a very specific way um, that enables people to uh, trade their, their loyalty and status and memberships. Um, but we also track a lot of customer data 
and that of course you know it doesn't involve anything on chain at all um, and i could dive into like exactly what we do but that was the kind of approach that we took Fantastic. Yeah, that, that sounds really great. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit about your transition sort of from your previous startups in the healthcare space to sort of the crypto world. Were there sort of transferable learnings that you could take through or was there quite a learning curve that you had to, you had to change? Okay, so the, the transferable thing between there's there's actually not loads that's transferable between medicine and startups in general. So I don't even, I don't think of like, I don't think of my journey as being one from web two to web three. I just think of it as being from health tech to B2B, you know, SaaS. <laughs> uh, well, actually, no, that, they're, they're not mutually exclusive. It's more like from health tech to consumer tech, right? Um, yeah. And the reason, I mean, the one thing that has been helpful is that I've, I've been in very, very stressful situations, like life and death situations where, you know, literally somebody is, um, you know, somebody is knocking on death's door and like, you know, they're right in front of me and I need to do something. Um, and that kind of desensitizes you to like very stressful situations. And with a startup, it's, it's, it's all about, it's peaks and troughs, right? The highs are really high and the lows are really low. I know that's a, that's a huge cliche, um, but it's, it's really true. Um, and like being able to handle that with some semblance of stability is really important. Uh, so I think that's one thing uh, it, it's allowed me to keep a level head, but honestly, that's pretty much it. Um, yeah, you know, I think, I guess there was a, a, a the work was intense. Um, but yeah. you know, so is that, so is everyone else's work. So, um, but I think, um, you know, the other thing here is that like I, I was just never passionate about healthcare. Um, what I realized over time, so transitioning from health to health tech, which is like one kind of like one foot uh, out of healthcare. Um, I kind of realized that it's just the thing that motivates me is just seeing progress, you know, like building something, putting it into somebody's hands and then seeing the numbers go up and seeing people enjoying the products that you've built and, yeah, you know, I think that's enough to get anyone motivated. You don't need a passion for a particular vertical. I know that there's this huge, you know, that I think there's this dogma that, um, like you really need to be passionate about what you're building, like the vertical that you're building in. I, I actually, yeah, I actually think it's kind of BS. You know, um, I think genuinely, like you, you can get passionate about progress, and regardless of the vertical that you're working in i mean it's just an opinion but yeah yeah, yeah absolutely and we we love to hear all sorts of opinions on the podcast so um i'd love to hear a little more about sort of the the early stages of pop so we're at the point where you know you've seen the the demand out there for an nft product and sort of the small medium business space what was next like did you have a, a couple of steps that you you followed or did things sort of just happen organically yeah, yeah so um I mean, there's like the typical, everyone has probably let, read the, the Lean Startup. Um, and I think that's kind of widely accepted now is the way that you should found your startup, right? It's like build a product that doesn't really work very, very quickly. Mm. And um, 
take it to market as quickly as possible and realize it's you know probably going to be a big failure and just learn from your, your mistakes i think obviously that that has worked time and time again we didn't go that route at all um the, and it was it was kind of for personal reasons actually i mean one of the things is that we're not we're not like 19 year old kids living with our parents you know sure. like you know we we have uh we have lives to to maintain and like uh, you know relationships to maintain etc so um we kind of if we were going to go on this full time we needed to start generating revenue pretty quickly um and so the model that we chose to use and actually this is something that's more common than people think is we just started selling our knowledge you know as an agency as a consultancy um um what that meant was that we could start generating revenue from day one um and it also meant that we would immediately start learning a lot from our customers right because what the ultimate form of an unscalable uh, business is a consultancy you literally directly trading time for money yeah. right um and it's like the ultimate way to do things that don't scale um and actually it's been fantastic i mean it's meant that we've managed to work with some huge brands um you know having some credibility is obviously very helpful uh, we've got a re- like we've got pretty good um credentials on the team but you know it doesn't it's it's not the be all and end all i think um what it's enabled us to do is essentially work with six great clients within six months we've generated enough revenue to go full time um and now you know we've reinvested a chunk of that into product development and we now we are doing all of the uh, you know all of the uh, the typical things that people should be doing when they're developing a product you know we are we're starting small we're going to market with a small pilot in january um we have a roadmap for our mvp we're raising a bit of money so um yeah it's uh, it, it's been it's been a journey that is more common than people think i think because when we speak to a lot of the other startup founders that we know in our networks they also started in a very similar way um it's very difficult to to do it the lean startup way mm. unless the conditions are just right yeah absolutely and it's it's refreshing to hear that right like it's it's so hard to to follow you know such a defined set of steps in an in industry where they may or may not be applicable as well so uh really good to hear yeah. that it you know it was pretty organic um you've spoken a lot about your co-founders and the founding team just how important was it to have sort of the the group of people that you've got with you and were there any challenges early on in the in the story and have you managed to work those things out or well i think um one of the the benefits of having previous startup experience is that you you've also been burned a lot of times with um with relationships that have gone sour um and i kind of know roughly it's impossible to tell long term right but you you kind of know what you need to do early on to to really vet those relationships um so for example with our CTO you know we've been working together for um half a year right and we were friends and um you know we could easily sit down and talk for hours and hours over a pint you know and honestly like that is uh, having that kind of relationship is really underrated i think um I think people are really rushing to just get the absolute smartest people in. Um I mean he is very smart, but I'm but you know, I think going for the top like 0.01% is completely overrated. 
Um, that's not what you need in, at an early stage. Actually, it's so much better to be working with your friends. Yeah. Honestly, like it makes the world of difference at the beginning because you really feel like you're in it together. You know each other, you know you can trust each other. And then it was a very different situation with James, right? Because I'd never met him before until I was introduced to him. And so we had to create, artificially create um, and test our, our friendship in the early stages. Um, and the way that we did that, and this is something I've used, it's been very effective in the past, is by doing a, uh, a four-week kind of tester project, no strings attached. Um, and so I defined like uh, a very specific project that was relevant to what I wanted to build at, at the time, or Ilias and I wanted to build at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Yeah, James and I, we, we just went at it for four weeks. You know, we worked together, we spent time together. Um, and at the end, you pretty much have a good idea as to whether you can spend the next, you know, few years with this person. Um, and it was all good. It was fantastic. So, yeah, that was the beginning of a, of a fantastic co-founding relationship. Amazing. Amazing. Um, I know you've already talked a little bit about sort of the product that you're now looking to build and you, you started off as more of a consultancy and moved into, you know, what, uh, many would call the traditional way of of kicking off a startup. Um, a challenge that many entrepreneurs seem to find is sort of the, the product funding chicken and egg type story, right? You know, which one comes Mm. first, where should your product be before you should think about funding? Um, I know pop might've, uh, seen things in a different way, but I'd love to hear how you'd approach that challenge and the advice you might give to others. Yeah, sure. I think you need to get to a stage where you've proven, or at least you're beginning to prove your longer term business model. Um, and what, what I mean by that is if you think about how you're going to become a sustainable business, like for us, we, we're a B2B SaaS product. Mm-hmm. Well, we're, we will be a B2B SaaS product. Um, really where we need to be is that we need to have the product and it needs to be um, in the hands of a user who is paying us a subscription for it, right? And that's the beginning. And then, you know, how do we, how do we scale that revenue? Well, we need to be showing a level of growth, right? any any growth at all. Once you have those core ingredients in place, I think then that's like the ultimate um, signal to any investor and to yourself, really. You are like, as a startup founder, you are the most important person. You need to do this for yourself, right? To understand if your business is going to work, right? And so... You know, that, that's really, those are the golden ingredients. And for us, like, we're not even, we're, you know, we're arguably working with the clients that we have so far. Like, we we had to have some, some form of MVP, even though it was 90% annual, right? I mean, it just depends on what the, um, what your definition is. But none of our revenue has been um, recurring, mm. right? It's all been transactional. It's all been project-based. So we can't, like... We can't say with 100% confidence, even though we are very confident in us as a team and what we're developing now and the the partnerships we have in the pipeline, um, you know, you can see from an outsider's perspective that they might not have 100% confidence that we can, from where we are today, that we can start to scale, right, in a sustainable way because we don't have recurring revenue and we can't show, like, growth of that recurring revenue. 
So I think obviously it it differs depending on what the business model is. Mm-hmm. But I think you know if you just take the core ingredient of take your take you take what you think is going to be your long term business model, take take your product to market and apply that business model. You don't have to have like tens of thousands of pounds in recurring revenue. You just need to have something small and show that you know you have the potential to scale it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Awesome. No, really good advice. Um, You've talked a bit about the journey already, but what have been some of the most challenging aspects of it? And would you do anything differently if you could uh, talk to yourself uh, a year or two ago? I mean, it's always very scary leaving um, the relative security of of your full-time role. Um, at the beginning, you, you know, I mean, people leave to launch their startup, well, maybe not launch, but work on their startups full-time at different times, right? And I think, obviously, if you can, um, you know, leaving leaving whatever role you're in now, once you've built a product and are already generating revenue is, like, you know, the ideal thing to do. Um, but th- it's something that I've tried to do in the past, and it's really difficult to split your time between two things, right? Or even three things or whatever, like that context switching is a killer, you know, and what ends up happening is it's, it's actually like, it, it makes things exponentially worse for you because you spend like hours just switching the context and then never really getting your head into anything. Um, and so this time I made a decision to go cold Turkey right. on what I was doing at the time. Um, and just go straight for it. And it was really anxiety inducing at the time. Um, I actually put my um, my amazing wife through through hell the last time I decided to do a startup, and so she was really anxious. Oh, nice. and so it has all of these ancillary um, effects that you you know you need to deal with. The other thing is like just like being comfortable with not knowing where this is going to go. Um, there's like a very 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 high chance that what you think you're going to do it's very different to what you end up doing. Mm. Um, and we're a great example of that. Initially, we thought we were going to help nonprofits and, um, and charities raise money by, um, by selling NFTs. Right. And to us, like at the very beginning of this journey, uh, you know, we thought that was, uh, that was, a it, it had a great kind of, um, you know, impact yeah. edge on it. And, you know, uh, we didn't know enough about Web three and like the possibilities of what we could, what we could do with blockchain to um, to really understand all the possibilities were. So um, along the way, as you learn more and more about the market, the industry, the technology, you begin to and you meet other people and your horizons expand. Um, you will begin to see other opportunities. You will uncover signals. And it's very hard to tell which signals to follow, but if you have a strong signal, it's really important to follow it. So we followed the data and we've gone, you know, we were, so we were doing that with, with, with nonprofits and charities, and then we kind of pivoted. And then we were, um, you know, focusing on NFTs for social commerce and how they could enable like anyone to become an influencer. Um, and then, you know, we, we, we tried that and then we, we slightly pivoted to, to the model that it is, you know, today, which is uh, all around like activating your community um, 
by incentivizing community-based behaviors um, and the value of that accruing on your on your NFT-based membership. Um, but as you can see, like it's very it will be so easy to just to be so frustrated because you've kind of like you know you've taken this tortuous mm. path um but actually that is totally normal you know um and if you look at the history of some of the most successful startups they actually started off with something completely different um so you, you just have to have the stomach for for that constant change but it is again it all comes down to anxiety mm. it's the anxiety of the unknown you know what is the product we're building and you know is it going to be the same <laughs> you know and also um how do i pay my mortgage yeah, yeah. Yeah. Always, always <laughs> an important part, I guess. So it sounds like trusting your gut, <laughs> being being able to pivot when you need to, seems like the uh, one of the major things you've learned, right? Um, so you're currently part of the LBS incubator program. Um, I'd love to hear how that's helped where you are in your business and what advice you'd have for founders about programs like it. Yeah. Um, so the LBS incubator program has been genuinely amazing right um i think so the first thing is of course like we we get some we get some space um which is fantastic on campus um but the more important thing is that we're also like we're cohabiting this space with the other startups um and it's so helpful just to pop downstairs and you know maybe get some advice on something that we're not too familiar with with somebody else or as simple as like borrowing a, a USB to USB-C connector or something like that. You know, I mean, it's just like, it's such a fantastic community. Um, and we're constantly filling in gaps for each other and introducing each other to investors. So the community element is, is massively powerful. Um, the other thing is of course, like being with like inside the LBS ecosystem has given us a lot of benefits in terms of interns you know we, we we took on seven interns not at the same time but over summer um you know we had we had seven interns working for us um overall um which was amazing and uh it's something i really enjoy right and it was nice to like just you know flex our muscles a little bit with a bigger team just to prepare ourselves for when eventually we do start growing the team properly um and you know being able to also um pitch at competitions and you know you you mentioned the um the lbs mm. pitch night that we that we were very fortunate to win a few weeks ago you know off the back of that we had so many opportunities um it, it really in fact we weren't even considering fundraising until we we did that pitch we were surprised that we won to be honest there were some amazing startups um and then we just got a bunch of inbound investor interest um and since then you know we've been in regular conversations with angels vcs people that were in the crowd at the time it's been absolutely fantastic and we we decided to use that momentum to actually for like properly actually start considering our fundraising strategy and now we have some amazing connections you know um yeah it's just been all around it's been fantastic and of course it's equity free Right, which is um, yeah, it's uh, it, it's uh, unusual, yeah. I would say, for um, for a London-based incubator or accelerator. Yeah. I was I was in the crowd at that uh, pitch night and absolutely loved it, and not surprised at all that you guys won. So you're not giving yourself enough credit there. 
Oh, but, um, yeah, so, so glad to hear that you're getting um, some great interest from it as well. Um, speaking of, of making waves, right, Pop's been making a few waves on public platforms at the moment, like NFT London being the most recent one. You know, how, how important is it yeah. to get your name out there? And where do you think you need to be in terms of your business before you start doing that? Yeah, I think... Um... There is this, you can go very extreme with this, and there's this notion of like building in public, right? Which I think is like pretty powerful. Um, it's very scary because it means it opens up. So all of that anxiety you had about making mm. mistakes and, you know, leaving your, um, leaving your full-time job and, you know, letting people down, you know, putting the, all of that in the public domain for people to see with the, you know, the risk of failure looming over you is very, very scary. However, it does massively improve, um, or drive at least accountability. Um, and it also hugely improves that feedback loop that is so important in the early stage, right? So, you know, we can put content out there and people can come back to us and say, Hey, I'm not too sure about this, or perhaps it just doesn't get like much engagement. You know, and that's an immediate, that's immediate feedback, immediate data that we can, we can act on. It's actually super powerful. And I think it's just important to get over the, uh, the initial kind of, you know, the scariness of, of, you know, failing in public. Nowadays, you know, I'm sure you've noticed on, on platforms like LinkedIn, people mm -hmm. celebrate failure, right? I mean, it's, uh, it's just, it's just a, a factor of, of startup life, you know, um, honestly, like I think as human beings, we're, a we're, a, a product of a line of mm. mistakes, right? Uh, <laughs> like evolutionarily, you know, and I, I, it's just the way of the world, you must make mistakes in order to improve. Um, and so once you, once you accept that, it's fine. Anyway, I feel like I've gone off, um, I'll feel terrible. Uh, but back to the point of like being kind of like, yeah, uh, being public facing about your company. Yeah. So obviously it's the whole getting the feedback loop. The second thing is um, people start reaching out to you, you get a huge amount of inbound interest and you start speaking to, because, you know, obviously your content resonates with some of your customers and people start, you know, you'll start getting customers, you'll start getting um, investors reaching out to you and you start developing relationships that end up, you know, possibly um, being super valuable later down the line. I can't stress like the importance enough of um, of like creating those relationships as early as possible. I think people forget, especially with investors, people often forget that they're um, they're also people, mm -hmm. right? And so, like, it's it's a bit weird to think that as a founder, you would go to a person and just immediately ask them for money, right? Um, you know, it's, it's a bit strange. Like if you just think about it, it's just, you wouldn't do that to anyone. Right. Yet, Like as a, as somebody who's a novice founder, for some reason, you think that's okay. I've seen this time and time again. Um, whereas actually like these relationships take months and months to cultivate. Mm. And the sooner you start making them, the better. And the way to make them sooner is by being public facing. Mm. Okay. Yeah. That's some really great advice. And I think, you know, some, some real golden nuggets of, out of all of those things you talked about, right? Even your little off, 
off piece bit about failure. I think um, yeah. <laughs> so many of the learnings, you know, and probably the more valuable ones uh, from times when you've stumbled rather than times where where everything's going well. Yeah. Um, and those relationships as well, um, so so important, right? Um, we we can turn our minds now to the future a little bit. Um, love to hear about Pop's plans for the immediate future, and what do you think is the next big opportunity for the business? So. Um... In terms of like the immediate future, we are we are launching a range a, a number of pilots in um, mid to late January with some of our our pipeline brands, um, which is very exciting. So our alpha launch is is happening very very soon, um, and then we're going to be like really working on the product and iterating and opening up a, a, a beta phase, and then finally. Um, you know, perhaps in July or August we'll go public, but obviously we'll need to um, play it by ear. We're also going to be raising our our pre-seed right. round funding. Um, so we're in like a, a fortunate position because we don't really need the money. Um, we are we are revenue generating, um, and that's a great place to be for all the other founders who might be listening to this. Like raise when you don't need money. <laughs> you know, um, it's much more comfortable. Um, and and also it, it puts you in a position where you can really negotiate and like stand your ground because often, you know, I think when you're a first time founder, you you are at risk of, um, yeah, you know, of being of of being taken for a, a bit of a ride. Unfortunately, especially in the current market, it's very very, um, it's very hostile. So um, yeah, I mean, those are the key things: the fundraising, we're launching the product, um, yeah, and. Uh, you know, hopefully it's going to be a big 2023. We can capitalize on some of the exciting stuff we have. In right. Pipeline. Well, yeah, I'm sure it will be. And I know we'll be uh, holding our breath to see, uh, you know, the milestones pop continues to achieve over the next year. Hey, uh, Sam, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a great conversation. Um, lovely chatting to you. And uh, hopefully get the chance to chat to you sometime again soon.